0: You're listening to episode 15 of The Thriving Mom Podcast. Today, we're talking all about how you can find yourself through unapologetic eating. Stay tuned. Welcome to The Thriving Mom Podcast, where we invite mothers and mothers at heart to think outside the conventional beliefs about motherhood, nutrition, and raising healthy kids. I'm your host, Uime Oguta, recovering perfectionist and non-diet nutrition counselor, On a mission to help smart women like you find food and body freedom through intuitive eating, self-care, and mindful practices that will leave you kicking balance to the curb, stop surviving, and start thriving in the beautiful chaos that is motherhood. Are you ready, mama? Let's journey together. Welcome back, friends. How are you? It's February, love is in the air, and for me... The best way that I've learned to love myself as I've grown older is just always remembering to take care of myself, whether it be through moments of rest, joyful movement, doing something silly or learning new things. I'm constantly questioning the norm of womanhood and motherhood to redefine it from just not just myself, but my three beautiful Girls. And our guest today does just that. I can't wait for you to dive into this episode. I had so much fun chatting with her. I tried to keep it short, even though it's longer than most of my episodes. I think it's a gem because Alyssa really drives home the message of learning to live in a way that aligns with your values as a person. Our guest today, Alyssa Rumsey, is a registered dietitian, nutrition therapist, Certified Intuitive Eating Counselor and the author of Unapologetic Eating, Make Peace with Food and Transform Your Life. She's passionate about advocating for women to reclaim the space to eat and live unapologetically. Does this sound familiar? (laughs) She's also the founder of Alyssa Rumsey Nutrition and Wellness, a weight-inclusive nutrition practice that offers virtual counseling and online programs to help people liberate themselves from dieting, cultivate a peaceful relationship to food and their bodies, and live a more authentic, connected life. Her expertise has been featured in hundreds of media outlets, and she speaks regularly at events, online trainings, and conferences around the U.S., I'm really excited about chatting with Alyssa because the crux of the Thriving Mom podcast is all about letting go of conventional expectations and just living life on our terms. So I can't wait to pick her brain about how we can do this and do so without apology. I'm sure it'll be an episode you'll want to listen to a few times and share a few times as well. So without further ado, here's Alyssa. Welcome to the podcast, Alyssa. Hi, thank
1: you so much for having me.
0: No problem. I'm really excited to have you here. I've admired your work as I was telling you from before we started recording. And I must say your new book, on apologetic Eating, just makes my heart sing with delight. <laughs> oh, thank you. I know so many lives will be changed. And before we dive into the meat of this episode, I was reading a section of your new book and it really stood out to me. You said something, you said, unlearning and confronting your biases comes with discomfort. But it is within this process that you can grow, evolve, and rediscover who you really are. And I know there's so many of us over the events of the past year who are really in this place where we're trying to challenge and look at our biases and find our discomforts. So I can certainly relate to this and also doing my own food and body freedom work. But I'd like you to share your story with us, especially how you transitioned from a weight loss to a weight neutral approach to nutrition, both professionally and in terms of your personal relationship with food and your body? Sure. Yeah. So, well, I've been a
1: dietitian for uh, over 12 years now. And like many dietitians, I was trained in kind of what we consider a weight centric or weight normative paradigm, meaning that everything I was taught linked weight to health, you know, as a, Quote, good marker for health, which I now realize it's not the case, also even before I started my schooling, my interest in nutrition stemmed from my own disordered eating and dieting and body image issues, so that's actually what brought me into the field. So when I started my undergraduate work in nutrition, I had a very disordered relationship with food, and uh needless to say, a lot of what I learned in my classes didn't do anything to help that. Um, If anything, it just kind of fueled a lot of that. And so when I became a dietitian, I actually ended up taking a job in a hospital, which I really think probably saved me in a lot of ways because I was working in a hospital and I was working in the intensive care unit. So I was not doing anything related to like weight loss. Like if anything, we were most worried when people are critically ill, you're most worried about Mm -hmm. getting enough calories into them and you don't want anybody to lose weight. And then, in addition to that, the I'd moved to New York City and happened to, you know, fall into a group of friends at the hospital that, despite you know most of us being dietitians, almost everybody like really had a a good relationship with food and like dieting and you know what people like what bodies looked like was not really a topic a lot of time, and I think that combined with just moving to New York City, I was in my twenties you know, just like so many new experiences. I'm from a very tiny town, so this is a big change. And it really just allowed me to kind of naturally over time, um, as I was exposed to people that had better, you know, relationships with food in their body and had roommates that kept lots of foods around that I maybe would not have done before. I just like over the course of my 20s, personally, Without trying and without really knowing what was going on, like this was not very intentional at all because I didn't realize that I had disordered eating and uh, like shifted my relationship to food. And then it was about four or five years ago that I, I was working at that point in my own practice and had been doing weight loss counseling and i happened upon a training series by evelyn Triboli on intuitive eating and i was like oh intuitive eating i think that's like mindful eating like i had not read the book i did not know what i was walking into but the first training that evelyn did i just like on one hand my mind was blown cuz i was like where was all this information you know it was all the health at every size research and all of that i'm like where was all this information before this for me, but also it made so much sense. And it was just like, all these things were aligning of like my my own experiences, my clients' experiences, and it just made so much sense. And so that's really what started me in this kind of transition um, from weight loss focus to a more like weight inclusive or weight neutral focused practice. And You read that quote about sitting with the discomfort and it was a tough shift because like I said, on one hand, it made so much sense. But on the other hand, I had been a dietitian at that point for like seven or eight years. And so here I am now. Being like, wait, was I doing this, you know, quote, wrong? Was I causing harm? Like all of these things. And having to sit in this discomfort and literally questioning everything I had not only spent, you know, five plus years of school learning, but also had spent my whole career at that point and had, you know, kind of set my identity on a lot of these things. So, so yeah, I mean, it just really, that was my. The first experience, kind of in this kind of side of things, with sitting with that discomfort. And now, of course, yes, that's happened so many times and it constantly happens and it no longer provokes as much of that like initial kind of reaction of like, oof, like defensiveness. I do still sometimes get that, but now I notice it almost right away and can be like, oh, defensiveness. Like that's a sign that there's something else going on here.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I definitely can relate to when you come to that realization. Because again, When you go to school and nutrition and dietetics is what you're focused on, there are a lot of things that you're expected to tell your clients and the people that you're helping. So when you realize, especially with taking the intuitive eating training, that was one of the experiences I had as well was just recognizing, well, what does this mean? And are you telling me that what we're being taught in school, we're actually harming versus helping people? Because a lot of us do go into nutrition wanting to help people and it's really challenging when you find out that some of the things that you may have been doing, they're not really helping people. So I think what I love about your book is that you bring in that piece, but also you actually have your reader in mind. You focus on helping them make peace with food. But I really just want to ask you how you came up with the name Unapologetic Eating, because that was like, oh, my goodness, this is such an awesome name. What does that mean to you? And how did you come up with it? Well, it's interesting because when I pitched
1: this book to my publishing house, and I had no idea what the name would be. And my pitch was basically something along the lines of it was like totally off the cuff. And it was something along the lines of, you know, basically what excites me the most about the work that I do is how, yes, we're talking about some food and someone's relationship to food, but really that's just like the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. And what really ends up happening in sessions is, So much bigger than just the food. Like, yes, people are able to eat what they want without feeling guilty, but it's so much more than that. And so I wanted to write this book that really talked about how food is this entry point into, you know, yes, making peace with food, but really like just connecting to yourself and opening yourself, opening up your life. And so I'm writing this book. I still have, you know, months in. I have no idea what the title is going to be. And then when we kind of settled on the name Unapologetic Eating, it's so funny to me because it's a little bit of like a duh moment because I'd been writing. (laughs) Like something about like how I wanted people to like unapologetically eat and live. I've been writing that in like my Instagram bio Mm. for a long time at that point, but it just never occurred to me of a title. And my publishers, you know, some of the people in the office started reading and they're like, how about this? I was like, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. And yeah, you know, really unapologetic eating to me is... On the surface level, of course, it's the like eating, like what you want, when you want, how you want, without questioning, without feeling guilty, without feeling ashamed, without feeling you need to explain yourself. It's really about like being able to be in the moment with eating and just trust that like, okay, this is what I want. This is what I need without like overthinking it. But also unapologetic eating to me is like this getting back to really roots into like who you were before society told you who you should be so yeah it's really it's unapologetic eating but that's really what i feel like it's you know one of my my earlier readers said to me she's like this is unapologetic eating but it's even more than
0: that it's like unapologetic living Mm -hmm. and i love that i love the last sentence you said about just who were you before society told you who you were supposed to be because that's the thing we need to go back to that place Before someone said there's something wrong with your body, before someone said you shouldn't eat carbs, who were you before that? That's who we need to go back to. And I'm really excited about this book because you're helping us and taking us through that journey and you've done it using four parts. So you start with fixing and then allowing and then feeling and growing. So I just want you to walk me through each of the parts briefly. Sure.
1: So you know, in the book, it's, we start with fixing. So fixing is this, you know, when we have this feeling like, like what you just said, like, okay, something is wrong with me, I need to fix myself or change myself. And so in this section, I talk about, you know, the first chapter is it's not about the food. So it's about the history of, of diet culture and the history of fat phobia and the anti-fat bias in our culture. And like where that all came from, where like our culture's beauty ideals came from, there's also info a chapter in there about you know why dieting doesn't work. There's a whole chapter on weight science. And then there's also a whole chapter on helping the reader really start to like explore more about the different factors that impacted their own relationship to food and their mm. own body image and like body beliefs. And then from there, so that's fixing and then it's moving to allowing. So, Allowing is really about like, okay, we've recognized why fixing not only doesn't work, but also can be really harmful. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to just allow ourselves to be. And so this is the section where I really walk people through how can they begin to take steps to move away from kind of the fixing mentality Mm -hmm. and stop trying to fix themselves and just allow themselves to sit with the thoughts and feelings that brings up and at that same time, start to rediscover and connect to their own inner wisdom. So I walk you through, um, there's a whole chapter on mindfulness and building awareness. It's like, okay, if not dieting, then what? Mm -hmm. And so this is where the intuitive eating piece comes in. I talk about how to honor your inner wisdom, you know, moving from kind of a scarcity mentality to an abundance mentality with Mm -hmm. food. And then from that allowing goes to feeling. So in this process of moving, you know, when you stop trying to fix and you're moving to just allowing yourself to be, and you start connecting to your body and you stop dieting, which for a lot of people can be a coping mechanism. It can also be a numbing mechanism too. So when you stop doing that, a lot of feelings can can come up to the surface. And often for many people, these are feelings and thoughts that they've spent years, if not decades. Usually subconsciously, like trying to suppress. So, the feeling part is really I talk about self care, coping skills, how to kind of like sit with what this process brings up. I talk about self compassion, which, along with mindfulness, is a really important skill. And then I also talk about how you can honor and respect your body. And I talk about you know, how people can redefine their relationship to their body. So start talking more about body image and what impacts that and how to start to heal their body image. And then the last section is growing. So this was one, this was actually, I think the most fun for me to write. It was also the part that I had the least amount of thoughts about what I was going to put in this section. But so, yeah, you've, you know, moved from fixing to allowing to feeling. And now like all this space opens up in your life and you're like, okay, what next? (laughs) Yeah. So this, there's a chapter on, you know, self-exploration and self-discovery, really learning how to be more connected to your body, more embodied. And then the last chapter is about embracing your power and how, you know, how can you step into your power, but not power as is traditionally defined in our society, which is generally like power over, but instead kind of. How can you step into your power? And then how can you use that to help the, the collective and help liberate everybody?
0: Yeah, yeah, this is so good. And it's just really interesting how one thing out of your life, which is food, can be such a powerful tool. You know, it's the entry point, like you said in the book, into exploring more about yourself, your beliefs, your values, and what you truly want out of life. So once you go through all these phases, and then you start asking what next, and it's not just about you, it's about your community. It's about the people who are around you. It's about the world in general. I just want to dig a little bit deeper into what this means for you into food being this powerful tool. Maybe share some examples of how that has been true for you and the women you've worked with.
1: Sure. So yeah, I think, you know, it starts with the food. Um, my I quote my friend Hannah Jung in the opening of my book. And mm-hmm. Hannah said to me a couple of years ago, you know, we're all going up the same mountain, but just on different paths. And I think for me and the people I work with, food is kind of what gets us onto this path, but then so much more opens up. And so, when you start to trust yourself around food, to not be out of control around food, you stop second guessing, you really turn back to your own body, that trust goes into other areas of your life too. You know, so some examples of this, I think I quote a woman in the book where she had said to me something along the lines of, you know, at first her journey was really about her relationship to food and her body. And then after like a year or so, then it really became more about like, okay, how am I spending my time? Like, is this how I want to spend my time? You know, what do I enjoy doing? Why am I doing these things? Mm -hmm. You know, and she said, like, I realized I'm really an introvert and I'd rather stay home and just, you know, not listen to that voice that said, oh, you should go out. And then a couple years into the process, she was sharing, okay, well now I'm at this point where I'm questioning like all of these other things that I thought I should want or I was Mm -hmm. supposed to want. She was like, do I even want a long-term partnership? Do I want children? Like, she's like all of these things I thought I had no choice in. She's now realizing, okay, this is just something that was put on me. Yes, I might still want some of these things, but I can make it my choice. Mm -hmm. To share another example, this was from a client conversation actually just last week. And this is someone I've been working with for several months. And she said to me, the coolest thing happened last week. You know, she's part of this book club and she's been part of this book club for a while. And she was like, you know, someone picked a book and I've been trying to read it. And I just like really don't want to. She's like, it's not landing well with me. And then they sent out the discussion questions. And she's like, I just don't want to be part of this, like this specific, you know, meeting about this book. So she's like, so I emailed them. And I said, hey, y'all, you can go ahead. I'm going to skip out this month. Wow. And she was like, in the past, she's like, I never would have thought about doing that. I've been like, Mm -hmm. no, like you said you'd go to this, like you should go. And she's like, no, I really didn't want to. And I felt so much better when I said no. And then even when someone from the book club responded back kind of a little like defensively, my client was still like, nope, she was like standing in her power. Right. Mm -hmm. And it seems like this small thing. But when you add up like on a day to day basis, all of these little things,
0: Mm -hmm. it just adds up to like
1: so much more.
0: Oh, definitely. It's just really interesting how being able to know that you have a choice makes a difference. You're not living by shoulds and have tos. It's just, this is what I choose to do. This is what I choose not to do. And we're moving on. It's terrifying to get started. But once you stand in that power, there's so much more that you can do. So my next question is about a quote where you said, as my clients question their beliefs about food and dieting and weight they started to question all sorts of their thoughts, feelings, and beliefs. And I know we've talked a little bit about this earlier, but I want to focus on how this speaks to diet culture, anti-fatness beliefs, and a person feeling poorly about their body. And these don't exist in a silo. And for me, being a Black woman in North America, obviously, I'm not going to ignore the fact that I'm on the other end of the spectrum where I enjoy or I experience thin privilege, so I might not really experience some of the negative things that my sisters who are in larger bodies experience, but just even as an immigrant coming to Canada, where, you know, you're told your food is not healthy in quote, right? So all of these things tie into why I'm asking this question. And I just want you to speak a little bit more to this. Sure.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, and this is really what I go into in the first chapter of the book, because I thought it was so important to ground everybody in, this reality that diet culture and these anti-fat beliefs that are so pervasive in our culture, they don't come from nowhere. Like we don't pop out of the womb with this bias for thinking that thin bodies are better or more attractive and that fat bodies are not, you know, that comes from our culture and our society. And so, you know, the roots of diet culture are multifaceted, but really, you know, and Stephanie Dodier and I spoke about this recently. If you peel back like all the different layers to get down to kind of the middle of the onion, it's racism, colonialism, sexism. And that's what's at the root of diet culture. And basically in, in North America specifically, and also in kind of like Europe, since mm-hmm. this was, you know, several hundred years ago, you know, white men created these beliefs about which bodies. Get prioritized and which ones need, like, are othered and marginalized. And they did that so that they would stay in power. And so I think this is so, so important because, you know, when you're struggling with your own body image and with feelings about your body and food, it can feel very, like, alone. There's usually a lot of shame tied up in this. And I think it's so important to zoom out and just show people that, like, no, like, these beliefs were, like, created purposefully um, to keep you down, to keep women down, to keep people of color down, to keep people in larger bodies down, to keep them othered, to keep them not in their power. Mm -hmm. Because when we're concerned about like living up to this ideal or living up to, you know, having a certain body, eating a certain way, then we can't really be fully in our power because Mm -hmm. we're like really distracted. And, you know, I really wanted to show people this bigger picture of how this is all these systems of oppression, including diet culture, being one of those systems of
0: oppression are all interlinked. Thank you very much. I I really appreciate you shedding some light on that. And I think this is something that a lot of us need to know. Obviously, not a lot of us are going to spend time to read all the books. But this book just sort of gives us a glimpse into that and gives us the tools that we need to help ourselves, which I really love. And I just wanted to touch a little bit about your book, which aligns with my messaging of challenging women to think outside the conventional box of who we should be. So you said true freedom and liberation come from rejecting all the instances of I should and I'm supposed to to find and trust who you really are deep inside. And I'm laughing here because <laughs> I'm one of those people who is so loud about this whole issue. And of course, my community, there are a lot of moms that I talk to, and I'm always coming at them with this, we need to let this go. So when I read that, I was just like, amen to that sister. So what is the biggest message that you want this community to take away from your book, on Unapologetic Eating?
1: Really, the reason I wrote this book and what I want people, what I hope people take away from it is really this just ability to think outside of these very arbitrary boxes that society has created and that society has really put us in and just have the ability to just start to question things, like question why, like, wait, where did this belief come from? Why do I believe that? And how might this not really be helping me? And, you know, really with that goal of being able to shed, you know, like you just said, all the shoulds and supposed tos to be able to just unapologetically eat and unapologetically live without worrying about
0: what others are, are thinking about you. Hmm, That's awesome. Then why are self-care coping tools and self-compassion so important in this process? And if you can just share with me a few of your own self-care and coping tools that you use. Sure, so, yeah, like I said before, when I was talking about the overview, when we
1: you know stop dieting or stop trying to fix our body or change our body, um it can bring up a lot of feelings. And it can also, especially for people who do not fit the kind of quote unquote societal ideal of what a body quote should look like, it can be really difficult. And so, The self care and coping tools to help you work through those feelings and process the grief this brings up, process all the things that this brings up are so important. And I think, in addition to that, self compassion Mm -hmm. is really, really important to help counteract what is generally in a lot of people this very loud, like inner critic Mm -hmm. shame voice, which it formed at some point in our lives, usually in childhood as a way to kind of protect us. But generally by adulthood, this inner critic, the shame is not helping us. If anything, it's no, it does not. Shame does not give you any space to grow and to learn and to change. And so that's really where self-compassion comes in. Um, And I think for me, in terms of my self-care and my coping at this point i have a whole host of things and it usually varies depending on you know what's going on and how i'm feeling mm-hmm. and i do talk in the book about cultivating a toolbox of coping skills which is actually an idea that i got from a friend and colleague rachel hartley who has a fantastic blog post on that but really cultivating multiple so for me lately what i've been doing one is dancing so like yeah, I've been trying and I've been trying to do this I actually just did this like an hour before we started recording. I will put on even just like one song, like one or two songs, five or 10 minutes. And in the middle of my work day, just to like, cause my stress levels are up. My cortisol levels are up. Mm-hmm. The stress is not going away. So just to like in the middle of the day to try to like bring my stress level down and get into my body and kind of move some of that through me. I will do that. I also have been doing, I I try to meditate on a fairly regular basis, but I also have been doing for the past year or so something I call music meditation. I don't know if anyone else has like come up with this, but this is something I just started doing, which is I lie down on my couch and I put this blanket on top of me. That's not a weighted blanket, but it's like a little bit heavy. So there's Mm -hmm. like a little bit of that, you know, that can help with like anxiety and stress. And then I put music on and usually some type of like ambient or instrumental sound. And I'll pick a specific like instrument or sound that I hear and just like follow it. And like when that one ends, I'll pick another one. And so really just meditating like to the music. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times I know for me when music's on, I'm also like doing other things and I'm not like really paying attention. So it's just, you know, meditation is basically like paying attention to something on purpose. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing it with music because that just feels... Often more doable for me. And at the end of a long day, it just like I can literally, when and I have a few albums that I do this with, and I can just like I can feel my nervous system relax.
0: That's a good one. I really like that. And it's just going back to that mindful practice where we have to calm ourselves down because there's so much noise. And sometimes you just need a little bit of quiet. You don't need the words, you just need a little bit of a tune to get you back to that position. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. And finally, a question I always ask my guests, what does thriving mean to you as a woman? Mm -hmm. This is such a good
1: question. So I would say that thriving to me means just being able to live life on your own terms, you Mm -hmm. know, doing what you want to do, following your intuition, following your gut instincts, and really just that ability to turn inward to figure out the answers or figure out what you want to do or where you want to go or who you want to be. You know, so really just putting yourself and your intuition first over other people and other people's opinions. Awesome. And being unapologetic. I love it. Being unapologetic. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Good. That's great. Well, Alyssa, this has been so great. Thank you for coming and sharing your message with the Thriving Mom community. I know that so many women are going to just benefit a lot from this podcast and your book, Unapologetic Eating. Where can people find you if they want to know more about you and what you have to offer? So my website is alyssarumsey.com,
1: And then the other place to find me is on Instagram, which is at Alyssa Rumsey rd. And then if people are interested in the book, Unapologetic Eating, it's available basically anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Bookshop, IndieBound. It's also for people who might be international. You can find it on bookdepository.com.
0: Oh, that's awesome! I'm so excited about it. I've got highlighters oh, and stuff. On pages. Thank you, yes, thank you. So this is really awesome. Thank Love you very it. much.
1: Thank you. Yeah, this was really fun. Thank you so much for having me on to chat. Well, well,
0: well, was that good or what? I must say, I have nothing else to add. If it resonated with you, I'm hoping it did. Go ahead and grab a copy of the book on apologetic eating. Read it, reflect upon it. Share with your friends and your loved ones. And let's begin to live our lives unapologetically. I'll see you on the next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, you've got to check out my free food freedom guide because it gives you practical steps you can take to let go of dieting, stop obsessing about food, and eat in a way that you enjoy get your food freedom guide at oliveandbliss.ca slash food freedom. And if you'd like to learn more about me and how I can support you to make peace with food and your body, then head on over to oliveandbliss.ca. I'm always rooting for you, my friend. Until next time, keep thriving.